I'm excited to start this new uh, sermon series called In the Light. Um, for those of you who don't know, um, I'm going to date myself to a certain extent because DC Talk has not been around for about 10 years, um, and that was a DC Talk song. Anybody know who DC Talk is? Yeah, okay, some of you do, some of you don't, but DC Talk uh, was a great Christian, probably one of the best, in my opinion, still to this day, uh, Christian artists as far as creativity and stuff. But uh, the, the point of this sermon series, we're going to be digging through the, the, the book of 1 John. 1 John was written uh, by the Apostle John, who also wrote the Gospel of John and is believed also wrote the, 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 the book of Revelation. And so we're going to dig in and basically get into what it, what it means. What's it mean to live in the light? What's it mean to be in Christ and things like this? So how many of you have ever walked from darkness to light, maybe someplace that was pitch black, and then you've walked into an area that it was all of a sudden really bright. What happens when you walk into a situation like that? Like there's the adjustment, right? You're like, whoa, it's a little bright. You kind of put maybe your shade your eyes or, squ- or squint your eyes or shade them with a hand or things like that. But what if you're in the dark and you're walking towards the light? Is it as big a deal? In other words, you see light off in the distance. You're starting to walk towards the light and things begin to illuminate. You see the, the big picture, right? All right. But here's the other thing. What happens when you're in the light and you walk into darkness? Like when you go from a bright room into a dark room, what do your eyes do? You can't see anything, right? You're like, like one of my things is I'll close my eyes and I'll leave them close for a little bit and then I'll look because it kind of adjusts, adjusts the things. But So we're going to be looking at what it means to walk in the light. And the reason why I bring that up is because light may be bright to you. Um, when, you, when you're walking from darkness to light, but, but I want you to think about that, that same aspect that when you're walking from light into darkness, there's a, a change that takes place. And so sometimes we don't really see what is truly there. And the reason the, the, the book of First John was written is because there were things there that people thought they had to do or things that, that, that were taught that they began to teach other people. Um, and, and they weren't really true in any way, shape, or form. And in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, it says this, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And that light is Jesus Christ. And so today we're going to be looking at, or really over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at a message of encouragement and reassurance to Christians who were really questioning or perplexed or, or, or really misled by uh, a bunch of recent happenings in their culture or in their group. All right? In other words, there were people who had put their faith and trust in Christ. There were people who were following Christ that all of a sudden stepped up into a reality that they thought there were certain things that were true that really weren't true. All right? In the book of 1 John, 1 John is going to come out pretty straightforward about what it means to follow Christ. Okay? Because there were a group of believers who believed that once they put their faith and trust in Christ, they would never sin. Okay? That was the first reality. All of a sudden, you're a Christian, and this is the false dichotomy or the false reality that a lot of people think that if you put your faith and trust in Christ, then you'll never sin. That's why people say, well, the church is full of a bunch of hypocrites, by which every church member should say, yes, because I'm a hypocrite. I still struggle with sin. I still do things. How many of you wake up every day and think, I don't want to do this so I'm not going to do it. You know, you know the right you should do, but you don't do it. That's the sin nature that lives within the life of a believer. You're still going to struggle with those things. 
all right? So there's this idea that I would, wouldn't sin, but then there was also an idea that John is going to combat here, and that's this, that Jesus did not come in the flesh, that Jesus was just kind of a figment of somebody's name. Jesus came down, and he inhabited this life of this man, and then he left before he ever died on the cross, all right? So there were two things that John is going to try and combat here that a lot of people go, well, I don't understand the big deal. But they are huge deals in the reality because if Jesus didn't die on the cross as God and man, then Jesus didn't pay the price for the sins that man needed to be paid for in the first place. So there's going to be a lot of things that kind of comes about through this. And so John the Apostle is also John or Jesus' dearest and nearest friend, his nearest and dearest friend. You guys know that from the, the Gospel of John. He was the beloved disciple. He was the disciple that Jesus loved. You know, you'll, you'll hear that. He's the one who reclined uh, up against Jesus at the Last Supper. And so John, the apostle, has a lot of clout, a lot of ability to write and speak into the truth about who Jesus is uh, and what Jesus came to accomplish. And so we're going to just slowly dig in to the book of 1 John. I know I don't usually do this, but we're gonna, it's going to be pretty, um, pretty heavy, pretty wordy to a certain extent to unpack these first four verses. And the reality is we're only going to cover four verses today, all right? So we're going to kind of dive in and figure this out. But they were holding these false beliefs uh, about Jesus Christ and themselves uh, number one, obviously, that he didn't come back. Number two, or that he didn't uh, <clears throat> come in person. And number two, that they believed that they were without sin and beyond physical good. So here's the big key. The, the, the thing I want you to remember the most. If you remember anything, I want you to remember this. The gospel proclaimed leads us into fellowship and a joy-filled life, all right? The gospel proclaimed leads us into fellowship and a joy-filled life. So if you have your Bibles, 1 John chapter 1, follow along with me, starting in verse 1. That which was from the beginning. Does that sound like anything that you've heard in the past, maybe? What does it sound like? The gospel of John. What else? Genesis chapter 1. The first John is huge on this. All right, First John is trying to unpack something. So here's what he says. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and we testify to it and we proclaim to you the eternal life. If you notice anything, matter of fact, it's one of those things I like to do. That's the second time we've heard the word proclaim. All right. First he says, this is what we proclaim concerning the word of life. Now he says, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. Now verse 3, we, what? We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that also, or so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. So the whole point of what we said is that the gospel proclaimed leads us into a fellowship and a joy-filled life, right? The gospel proclaimed leads us into fellowship, fellowship with God and fellowship with other believers and a joy-filled life. They literally lay this out over and over again right here in these first four verses. And so we're going to unpack this today in a very simple way. But that which was from the beginning, I'm going to go verse by verse to a certain extent, all right? A lot of times we look at it and we say, that's just like John. In the beginning was the 
word. The word was with God. The word was God. All right? So we may think, well, hey, that's what he's talking about. He's talking about Jesus from the beginning. But the reality that we see in this is that he's trying to talk about not just Jesus, but he's trying to talk about the beginning of the gospel, the good news. When did the gospel start? When did the good news of Jesus Christ started? The good news of Jesus Christ started when Jesus came down in flesh, born of a virgin, born of Mary and Joseph. That's the beginning of the good news. And so what he's trying to get across is this. The gospel is the good news. The gospel began when Jesus came down. The good news of Jesus Christ began at that point. So that which was from the beginning, the good news of the message, that Jesus came down in flesh in humanity to become 100% God, but at the same time, 100% man, so that he could relate with every sin, every problem, every difficulty, every temptation you and I face. According to Hebrews, he's gone through it, yet there was no sin in him. And so he's literally laying out this big picture. And so I want you to see this, that when the gospel proclaimed, the gospel proclaimed leads us into fellowship and a joy-filled life. So I want you to see there are three things I'm just going to break down out of this. Number one is this, the real-life gospel, all right? The real-life gospel. The gospel doesn't change to my belief or my opinion, but the gospel changes my beliefs and my opinions, okay? Here's the problem, I would say, for most people today. They say, hey, I want Jesus, but Jesus got to line up with my beliefs and my opinions, That's why certain things are accepted now in what we'll call church culture. That's why we allow certain things in our lives to continue to dominate us because my beliefs dictate my opinion about Jesus. That's what we'll say. But the reality is that the gospel doesn't change my belief or opinion, but the gospel changes my beliefs and opinions, all right? I I left a key word out there. The gospel doesn't change to my belief or my opinions, all right? The gospel changes my beliefs and my opinions. So in every way, shape, or form in my life, my life should be affected by what the gospel says. What does the Bible say? What does the good news of Jesus Christ say? What does it call me to do? How should I act? How should I respond? How do I vote? How do I believe? All of those things. Now, let me be very clear. There are a lot of people, I've, I've had a conversation earlier this week, there are a lot of people automatically think that the minute a preacher starts doing this, he's trying to say you should vote pro-Republican, all right? Now, I'm not saying that at all, but I'm also not telling you to vote pro-Democrat, okay? I'm telling you that your voting decisions, your actions in life and everything you do, whether it's in school or work and everything, are all changed by my beliefs and opinions because the gospel changed my beliefs and my opinions. Does that make sense? So I'm here to tell you point blank that if you're one of those people who says, Only Republicans are right, only Republicans are Christians, and all Democrats are going to hell, then you've missed the big picture, all right? Okay, all right? And vice versa, vice versa. If you look at it the other way and say, well, that's, see, if they want, if they're going to claim Christianity, then I want nothing to do with Christianity. Listen to me very clearly. The gospel doesn't change to my beliefs and my opinions. You can't do that. You can't go, well, I really don't like that part of Scripture. So I'm just going to leave it off. Or I I believe this, so I'm going to try and find Scripture to validate me. Matter of fact, I used to say this a lot. You cannot use 
Scripture as a diving board to jump off into the pool of opinion. You use Scripture to dive into the depth of Scripture to get into the deep heart of what God wants to teach you and what God wants to change in your life. So what he's trying to get to is for us to understand that the real life gospel had a beginning. What's the beginning? When Jesus came down in humanity, in human form, it's called the incarnation of Christ. That's the beginning of the good news of the gospel. Why? Because the good news is that he left where he was at, sitting at the right hand of the Father, and he entered in our sinful human world, and he lived a life that was without sin, and he died on the cross, bearing our sins, bearing the weight of the world, and he rose again. That's the beginning of the gospel. When Jesus came, that's the beginning. And so we see that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, right? So John the apostle, the beloved apostle, one of the 12, he's basically saying, look, we've seen it and heard it. You ever heard a story and then tried to repeat it? If you saw the story firsthand and you told the story, most likely you're going to tell the right story. But if you didn't see the story and you heard somebody else tell it, it might be a little bit, what? Misconstrued, miscommunicated. I might not get the whole effect. The real life gospel that John is trying to get across to these people is this. Listen to me on this part is what he's saying. That it started in the beginning. Look, we've heard it. We saw Jesus come. We saw how Jesus was born. We knew what was going on. We know the story of the truth. So we have heard it. That which was from the beginning, the gospel, which we have heard, it was preached to us. Jesus stood on it. Can you imagine the 12 disciples day in and day out hearing God speak to them through Jesus Christ and, and listen to the message that Jesus proclaimed? This is the message we're proclaiming to you, that which was from the beginning. That which we have heard. So John begins this letter with an echo of what we see in 1 John, but then he goes on and he says, listen to this. This is the reality. You know, I think about it this way. The world had a beginning, did it not? The word never did. The word always existed. So that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes. He was flesh and blood. They saw him raise the dead. They saw him give sight to the blind. They saw him heal the lepers. They saw him uh, feed the 5,000. They saw him set people free who had been uh, tormented by demons. He cleansed those. He restored the fallen. They saw all of this. So it says, that which was from the beginning, the gospel message, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes. The good news of the gospel is this, that Jesus brings life to death. Jesus offers life to those who are dead. That's the reality, that's the truth. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. So Jesus is offering life to those who are dead. Those who are stuck in their sins. Jesus says, I'm, I'm holding out, I'm offering life. So they're saying, that. look, that's what, what we've heard from the beginning, that which we've seen with our eyes, and then I love this, that which we have looked at and our hands have what? Touched. See, I believe that the followers of Jesus, number one, did they not touch him physically? I mean, you know, how, how hard is it to come into the church building and shake a hand or get a hug? Would they not have been people who walked right beside Jesus, shook his hand, hugged, prayed for him, arms around, you hang out with your buddies long enough, you give them a good nod, a good shoulder shove, an elbow shake, whatever it is. They're basically saying, look, we have touched 
Jesus. We have been touched by him, but they, they touched him not only during his ministry, but after his resurrection from the dead. When Jesus rose again, what did he do? See my hands and what? And my feet. And some of them touched it. They saw the scars. I mean, think about all the scars that people show off and do, hey, Joe, check it out. I mean, Jesus standing there going, hey, check these out. Whether it was hands and feet or the side, maybe the scars or cuts on the brow of his head. And it says basically that they touched it. So what they're trying to do, what John is trying to communicate here is that Jesus, yes, Jesus did come down in humanity. He did come down in human form. It's called the incarnation. And, and as he did, he spoke, he healed, and they heard him, and they saw him, and they watched him, and they touched with him, and, or, and they touched him. And listen to what he says. This is what we pro- proclaim concerning the what? The word of life. The beauty of the gospel is this. The gospel was not man-made. It was not communicated by a bunch of men who had no clue what they were talking about. The gospel is not something that was cleverly invented by them or anything else like that. Matter of fact, there's a point in the Bible where it says, look, we do not talk about cleverly invented things, but we're giving you the truth that we experienced, that which we saw, that which we heard, that which we touched, just as we see here. And so Jesus is something that is physically experienced by them, but it's also being passed on to him. So the gospel doesn't change to my belief or my opinion, but the gospel changes my beliefs and my opinions. Why? Because that's the real life gospel. The real life gospel doesn't leave you where you're at. It takes you where you're supposed to be. And so what John is literally simply trying to address here is this, that there were a bunch of people who were walking away, people who said this. Matter of fact, um, I, uh, and I think I've shared this story. I'm pretty sure I've shared this story before, but I ran into a gentleman when I was in Springfield um, more of the legalistic background. Um, and what I mean by that is this. He said that when somebody becomes a believer, they should cut their hair, they should dress a certain way, they should act a certain way, and there should be things like that, okay? But it's an idea that, and listen, I believe you should act a certain way. Why? Because the gospel changes my beliefs, and it should change my opinions. I no longer believe the way I used to believe, because where I believed before was more sinful. It was based upon sin. It was based upon my desires. It was based upon selfishness and things like that. But listen, this guy, he told me at one point, he's like, you know, yeah, we had this guy come into our church, and I just led him to the Lord, and when he came to our church, I told him, you got to cut your hair. It's too long. I mean, could you imagine? I'm like, like, you know, Rob's not here today. But Rob, sorry, bro. you got to lose your ponytail. What? Well, you know, I mean, that's not the gospel. Right? That's a man-made idea, a man-made opinion. And what was happening in the, the, the community that these, these people were dealing with was people were stepping up and saying, look, you've got to respond in certain ways. You're, you're, you're no longer going to sin. All right? Or they were denying the existence that Jesus had come down in, in, in human form. What we begin to see is this, that the gospel is the good news, that Jesus was and is the real deal. And so they're proclaiming this, and John literally lays it out. This is what we proclaim concerning the word of life. We're telling you about it. And listen to what he says. Verse 2. The life appeared. We have seen it. 
We testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. So here's the big thing. We, we, we said that the gospel proclaimed leads us into fellowship and a joy filled, and so we talked about the real-life gospel, but I want to talk about real life in the gospel. In other words, how do I experience real life? Because that's what he's saying. The life appeared. What is the life? The life he's talking about is the life of Jesus Christ. But that's where I get my life. I receive life through Christ and Christ alone. There's no other way. So it says that the life appeared. We have seen it and we testify to it. So again, he's standing by and saying, look, we saw it, we touched it, we heard it, we seen everything he did. That life appeared. He was real. He was 100% real. Matter of fact, let me ask this question. If you saw something and you told somebody about it and you were standing by the truth of it, and then they started to question, go, well, that couldn't really happen. How do you feel? I mean, matter of fact, I'm, I'm just going to be honest. There are stories you've probably shared in the past that people are like, yeah, did that really happen? I mean, anybody been there? Like, I, was, I, was, I don't remember who I was talking to. I know there was a gentleman here. He came over to give us a bid on some stuff, and I was talking to him, and he's a huge hunter, and I'm a huge hunter. And I explained to him a hunting story, and I said, man, I know it sounds so fake, but this is, this is really what happened. He's like, dude, that's awesome. And I'm thinking as he leaves, he probably thinks I'm an idiot because there's no way that could have really happened. I'm not going to share it with you because you may get a little queasy and stuff like that. You want to come talk to me about hunting stories? I got all kinds of them, but... This is the reality. There are stories that happen that you begin to share, and sometimes I think people are like, well, I'm not sure I can really completely buy that. And what John's trying to communicate is this. Yes, you can buy it because we experienced it firsthand. Now, that back in those days is huge. In today's culture, truth is relative. Truth is relative on the way you grew up. Truth is relative on the opinions and beliefs you have. Truth becomes relative based upon how your mom or dad told you to do or believe about certain things. That's the reality of what our culture stands with truth, when the reality is truth is based upon fact. Matter of fact, I, I use it this way. I've seen multiple videos on Facebook, and you, it, it's, it's hilarious. Maybe you've seen this in the past. You watch the video, and everybody else watches the video, and you got two vastly different opinions about the video. Because there's context. You have to know the context of the situation scenario. And I think sometimes people just watch a video and don't realize what all is going on. But there's context in video. There's context in what's going on. And the context behind this is this. The disciples knew firsthand from experience who Jesus was and what Jesus had accomplished. That's the context. They had walked with them day in and day out. And the question is this, do you believe somebody who would walk side by side with somebody day in and day out or do you discredit them wholeheartedly? Because that's the truth. If you want to know somebody, you get to know them, right? You can know somebody through their friends or you can get to know somebody really like who they are. How do they respond day in and day out? How do they act? What do they say? What do they believe? Do they treat people like trash? Do they treat people with respect? I've, I've met, as a matter of fact, all you got to do is look at what's going on even with Judge Kavanaugh stuff. And I'm not, not getting political here. But there is a group of opinions based upon how people know somebody and how people perceive somebody. And that knowing or perception can be dictated by what everybody else listens to. See, I can know a lot about a person, and I can say, man, this guy is of utmost character. 
But all it takes is a bunch of people to stand off the side and go, no way, this guy's not of any character. And this is why. But who you know and how you know speaks volumes about it is. And so we talk about there's the, the real life gospel, but number two is this, there's real life in the gospel. See, the people begin to add and subtract from the word, and that's one of the most dangerous things you can ever do in Scripture. The minute you begin to add and subtract from the word is the minute you go into a problem. You, you will have massive difficulties. In John chapter 20, verse 31, and, and when we did our, our, uh, uh, the names of Jesus, uh, we talked about this, but in the Gospel of John, John wrote for a very specific reason. He said, listen, I write to you about these signs and wonders that go on so that, these are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That you may have life in his name. So real life in the gospel is literally what John is trying to communicate here. Why? Because the life appeared, we have seen it, and we testify to it, and then listen to what he says, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. If you want to experience life, what you got to do is you have to listen to the life that is being proclaimed, the life of Jesus Christ. When it is proclaimed, you're given an option or an opportunity to put your faith and trust in Christ. That's the truth. So John is trying to unpack this in a very simple, very straightforward way, and he says, again, we proclaim to you what? Eternal life. Now listen, in today's world, we all know that life has certain meanings or certain stipulations. Some people say, well, that's the life, you know, buy a place down in wherever, the Caribbean, Turks and Caicos, sit on the beach. Now, don't get me wrong, I love that. Like, don't work, sit on the beach, play all day. I could, I could get used to that kind of life. I could also get used to the kind of life where I could go to the mountains Hunt, fish, not worry about anything, disappear, leave my phone somewhere else. My wife's like, you're crazy. We talked about, <laughs> I said we were going to retire in Wyoming. We live up in the mountains. She's like, you, you and who? Because I'm not going with you. <laughs> She's like, you're going to stay married to me. We're not, we're not doing that. And I was like, why? That would be awesome. She's like, no, I like people. I'm like, I like people too, but I like mountains. It's like, no, you know. But, but listen, we proclaim to you eternal life, which was with the Father and is prepared to us. So when Jesus comes down, what he's trying to get and communicate is this. If you want to experience life, you have to understand who Jesus is. Jesus was born of a virgin. Jesus descended from heaven, taking the form of man, called the Incarnation, being human in every way, shape, or form. In other words, he was tempted and tried in every way we were tried, but yet there was no sin in him. And he died on the cross bearing the sins of every single individual. Whether you choose to believe it or not, Jesus died bearing your sins. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Even in the midst of your lack of belief, Jesus still died for you. And this is what we proclaim concerning eternal life is what they say. It was with the Father and has appeared to us in the form of Jesus Christ. So the eternal life comes in Christ. I want to very simply give you the gospel. If you were to go to our website, there's a number of, of links we provide to this. But I, I love this one. It's one I used as a youth pastor. Um, it's called Life in Six Words. 
And it communicates the gospel. Matter of fact, it's going to pop up as I read them. Number one is this, that God created us to be with him. If you read Genesis chapter one, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But it goes on and it says, and he created man and woman. He created man in his own image. So there's this beautiful image bearing person that reflects the life of, of God there. And so God created us to be with him in a relationship with him. But as a result of one man, and everybody goes, you're going to blame everything on one man. Yes, that's the teaching of scripture. That's what the Bible teaches our sins separate us from God as a result of that, all right? So we have number one is G, God created us to be with him. Number two is O, our sins separate us from God. Genesis chapter three, when Adam and Eve sinned, our sins separate us from God. And so it says there is a consequence for your sin. The consequence is, man, you're going to work for the rest of your life. You're going to work on this. You're going to toil. You're going to fret. You're going to work in every way, shape, or form. And this is what humanity does. We try and work to earn salvation. That's why over and over and over again, people say, well, I go to church, I give money, I do good things, I, I help out with this, I do all of these things. Our sin separates from God and there is nothing you can do to earn it. Nothing. Number three is this, sins, S, sins cannot be removed by good deeds. That's what we just talked about. There's nothing you can do no matter how much you want to pay, nothing you can pay. But listen, here's the beauty of it. Paying the price for sin, Jesus died and rose again. I hope you're starting to see something here. It's spelled out the word gospel. E, everyone who trusts in Jesus alone has eternal life. Jesus alone says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And the last one, life with Jesus starts now and lasts forever. That's the gospel. That's the gospel spoken out very simply. That's the gospel that I think you should study and understand. That's the gospel you begin to, to relate to. That's the truth of the gospel in a very simple life in six words. And I have no clue what's going on with P, but I'll read it to you one more time. Paying the price for sin, Jesus died and rose again. This is I'm, technology. I love it and I hate it. <laughs> You know, it is what it is. I don't know. That was working this morning. I'm, I'm serious. Um, but it, it is what it is. But real life in the gospel. So there's the real life gospel, that which they experienced, that's which they heard, that which they touched, that's which they proclaimed to them. Now they're standing back and they're saying, there's real life in the gospel. The message we proclaim to you is that there is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And that's the only way you get to have eternal life. That's the only way you are made righteous in God's eyes is through Jesus Christ. And then the number three is this. We're going to kind of wrap up with this. As a matter of fact, I'm going to, I have to read this quote. It's a beautiful quote before I jump on to number three. The gospel is not a doctrine of the tongue, but of life. It cannot be grasped by reason and memory only, but it is fully understood when it possesses the whole soul and penetrates to the inner recesses of the heart. There was a guy named John Calvin who wrote that. The gospel is not a doctrine of the tongue, but of life. It cannot be grasped by reason and memory only, but it is fully understood when it possesses the whole soul and penetrates to the inner recesses of the heart. Here's what he's trying to say. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Every word, every action, every desire, everything I do is a result of what's going on in my heart. And when my heart is wicked, wickedness comes out. But when my heart is pure, when my heart is righteous, when my heart is made right with God, then I begin to do good works or good things. 
So that was the gospel in a nutshell, and I hope you understand that. And then the last thing is this, the fellowship of the gospel, or fellowship in the gospel. We proclaim what we have seen and heard so that we have a unique fellowship with others. And I love how they, they, they unpack this, or John unpacks this. He says this, we proclaim to you, all right? In other words, he's proclaiming it again. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard. So he's reiterating what took place in the first verse. So that, listen to, he's saying, we want you to understand what we've seen. We want you to understand what we've been taught by Jesus Christ. First and foremost, because we are firsthand recipients of, and we are passing it on to you. So we have seen it, we have heard it, so that you also may have fellowship with us. Now here's the beauty of this picture. The fellowship of the gospel always takes place among believers, but listen again now what he says, and our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. In order to experience true fellowship, true fellowship is always united around one common thing, and that's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Kind of three, but one. Three in one, all right? True fellowship is united around that. That's the beauty of Christianity versus every other religious background or belief. Fellowship is united around one person, God. They fellowship together because they are united around one common cause. That's why Christians around the world, regardless of race, regardless of ethnic background or country that they grew up in, can unite around the gospel cause because the gospel cause is the very thing we unite around, the good news of Jesus Christ. So we unite around that, and listen, I love how the beauty of this plays out because what he's saying is this, we proclaim to you what we've seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship was with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. True fellowship leads us to a state of joy, and we write because we want to make our joy complete. Listen, the reason we proclaim the gospel the reason believers should stand on the truth of the gospel, the reason we acknowledge that Jesus was incarnate, in other words, Jesus came down from heaven to live on earth, is because we believe it, we proclaim it, and as we proclaim it, we have fellowship with one another, and we have fellowship with God the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. And as a result of that, our joy is made complete. So here is also the big picture I want to, I want to just kind of unpack just a second, is this. Whenever you don't take or partake in or be connected to or take part in any way, shape, or form fellowship within a local body of believers within the church, you're not going to be complete in joy. That's why I have so many people who will say things like this. Well, you know, I just didn't feel connected. Or I've had people say, well, I don't need, I don't need the church. No, you do. If you want to experience the full and complete joy that the gospel talks about, you do need the church. And when I'm talking about that, I'm not talking, again, a building. I'm talking about people. You need the people of the body of Christ to build you up, to help you out, to encourage you, to pray for you, to stand by you, to lift you up when you're down, for you to lift them up when they're down. Because we all need that in some way, shape, or form in our life. We've got to take part in that. Why? Because that's where joy is made complete. They are proclaiming the gospel, standing on the truth of the gospel, wanting people to understand the good news of Jesus Christ so that they don't work for salvation, 
but they put their faith and trust in Christ so that they can understand that Jesus did come down in human form and he lived a perfect sinless life and he died on the cross. It's not some, yeah, a little bit, but not all the way. And some people will say, well, I don't understand the big deal. It's a huge deal because what we believe affects everything we do. What we believe about Jesus Christ affects the very message what we're going to proclaim. If you don't believe that Jesus Christ came down in human form, then why would you ever believe that he died on the cross? Because the death of him on the cross means absolutely nothing because it wasn't God's son in the first place if he didn't come down in human form. It's the very basic foundational belief that we stand by and understand in order to stand on the truth of the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ is that, that we couldn't pay for our sins, so Jesus came down to pay for our sins. And while most people want to say that's a bunch of bogus junk, do you realize that there were more eyewitnesses to that truth than anything else, and yet we'll listen to things like the Iliad and the Odyssey stuff, and we'll stand by all of that and not acknowledge that the gospel, that the good news of Jesus Christ has more evidence, more strength than anybody else, because there is more eyewitness testimony to that than any other, listen to me, historic document from that time. No other historic document that even educators use to this day has as much eyewitness testimony as the truth of the Bible does. But yet we want to throw out the Bible. Why? Because that is our belief and opinion for most people. Well, I throw out the Bible because my opinion is, my belief is this, and we let that belief and that opinion direct life when the truth of the matter is that we have our beliefs and opinions based off the truth of the gospel, not our opinions. Billy Sunday is an old school evangelist, baseball player and everything else who I believe gives us a great truth and that is that the Lord gives his people perpetual joy when they walk in obedience to him. So listen, as we unpack this book of 1 John. And I love 1 John. It's one of the things I took our, our, our students in uh, Texas. Uh, when I was youth pastor in Texas, we did it on Sunday nights, walked through it, had a lot of great discussions about it. We did it again in Springfield, and I'm encouraged to do it here today. But, but one of the things that I want to do is as you dig in is to read 1 John with an understanding of what's going on, to know what they're trying to proclaim. Because here's the truth. When I talk to you about the, the stuff they're talking about, John's going to come out and he's going to start talking about these antichrists. Okay? Not the antichrist from Revelation, but he's calling the antichrist. What, what, what it is is it's anti-Christian or anti-God teaching that's going on. And he's going to come out and he's going to say, hey, these people are the antichrist because they're teaching false doctrine. They're teaching you false thoughts, false ideas about the truth of the gospel. So as you read 1 John, I want you to understand what's going on because John is all about being in the light. Remember, 
God is light. In him there's no darkness. We're going to see that in a little bit. You're going to see about how in Revelation where it says that when we die and the heavens and earth pass away, you guys realize this, kind of unpacked this a little bit ago, a couple sermon series ago, but when we die, when the old earth and the heavens are passed away, which for all of you who don't realize that, that means according to, yeah, hey, guess what? The news is right. I'm going to tell you that. This is one thing that the news might be right on. The earth's dying. Okay? And no matter how much you try and and prevent it from happening, it's going to die. It's a promise. All you got to do is read Revelation. It says that the earth will die. It's gone. It's done. Over. Now, I'm not not speaking out and saying, hey, don't try and do your best to take care of Mother Earth or don't, well, Earth, all right? Don't, look, I'm all for caring for it. We're, We're supposed to be stewards of our earth. But the earth is dying. And the beauty of that is this. It says that when the heavens and the earth pass away and a new Jerusalem is built, there will be no light because God's light is what will light everything up. Why? Because he's the foundation of light. So I love the beauty of 1 John because it's talking about being in the light. It talks about being the love. It talks about all of these things are going to take place as a result of what Jesus does in your heart first and foremost through the gospel. So I know it's a lot to kind of dig into, to jump into, but I want you to understand exactly what he means when he said that that is the gospel. The gospel proclaimed leads us into fellowship with others and joy-filled life. And my question is this, are you experiencing the gospel? The daily beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ should be something you preach to yourself every day. That I am a sinner saved by grace. And as a result of Jesus' grace, I am not being held responsible for the things I have done in the past that I have been forgiven them. And that I can forgive others. Why? Because Jesus forgave me first and foremost. And so I live the gospel out in a great way with a very forgiving way because that's what Jesus wants us to do. We want to be light in a dark world. We want to be the thing that people walk to, not away from. You know, when you're walking into darkness away from the light, things are going to appear a certain way. Remember what we started with? But when your eyes truly adjust, all of a sudden you see the reality that it's not really what I thought it was. but it's misled me. But when I walk to the light and I see the light in the distance and I begin to walk towards it, I begin to make things out. I begin to see the truth as it really is. I begin to see the reality of what I face day in and day out, that I'm going to face trials and difficulties. I'm going to face struggles. I'm going to lose loved ones. But guess what? I still walk on. Why? Because God has paid the price for me. God died for me. He didn't promise life would be easy, but he said he would always be there with me. And so I just keep walking. Why? Because I'm walking to the light. Because I want to be in the light. Because he is the light. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the truth of your word, and God, it, in some way, shape, or form, I know it's, it's only by your supernatural power that you work in the lives of people. But God, I pray that we would understand the truth of the gospel, the real life gospel, 
and that, God, we could experience real life in that gospel, that God created us to be with Him, that our sins separate us from Him, that, 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 that sins can't be done away by good deeds, but, but Jesus, paying the price for our sins, died on the cross. And that ever, everybody who puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ can have life in Him. But God, oftentimes, we so oftentimes think of eternal life as something in the future, something way off when we die, but we know that life more abundantly and life eternally begins right now with a relationship in Christ. So God, I pray that you would work in and through us, that if we have never put our faith and trust in Christ, maybe it would be a simple uh, response today by saying, I want to put my faith and trust in Christ, realizing I'm a sinner, knowing I can't do it on my own, but that Jesus did it for me that you would turn and walk away from your life of sin and that you would walk towards the light, away from darkness and into light. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.